0: Well, good morning and Happy New Year. I'm sure you've heard that about a hundred times by now. But um, this morning, I'm just thankful to be here. It's always a pleasure to share God's word with his people at West Lynchburg. And I have a great opportunity to serve alongside great people. Pastor Chris, always supportive. Tad, Tim, just everyone. And also Danielle for know all the time i have to dip away and the kids and say i love you but you know it's a great new year i'm sure we're all looking forward to it but before we press on i would just like to for us all to pray Uh, let's pray our father that you would guide us by your spirit through your word to your son jesus christ our lord and savior And all this for your kingdom, for your glory. Amen. So today, we're going to be in the Gospel of John, chapter 21. And you can get there now if you want. It's a little bit easier to find than some of the books. It's right after Luke, right before Acts. And thankfully, chapter 21 is the last one. And if you have the Pew Bible, you can find it starting on page 853. breakfast with Jesus is the title of the sermon and uh, If you look at this picture, it's actually a a fun picture for me. Those are actually my feet uh, In the Sea of Galilee where this passage supposedly happened and so it's a very special place to me It's exciting and it's it's good to preach through it at the same time. And so when you read through John's gospel It's basically divided up into two books The first half is usually called the Book of Signs, and this is all Jesus' interactions and miracles and teaching all across Israel, from Galilee Galilee, all the way to Jerusalem. And the second half of the book is usually just called the Passion. It's the second half, and it covers the Last Supper extensively, then it covers the arrest, the trial, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. So when you're reading through the Gospel of John, Those are your two main outlines, and then you get to the end, and there's this odd period where Jesus is just wandering around, talking to his disciples, revealing himself, and this is where we find ourselves today, right at the end of John 21. And so even though we're on John 21, we're going to focus on verses 15 through 17, so if you're not already there, get there, and I'll just read through it. He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, Tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, Do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, Feed my sheep. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. And so I just think about this time. Who's tired? Long year, long month, long couple of years. Hard to get up this morning with a a new worship time. Uh, Too much celebrating. And I just think this part of the year feels like a time warp to me. It really does. And there are a few names for this stretch of time. Uh, the Brits celebrate Boxing Day and week, the week after Christmas. And for some traditions in Christianity, they're still celebrating the 12 days of Christmas called Tide. They do that until December 6th, and then they celebrate a day called Epiphany, which is whenever Jesus, through the Magi, is revealed to the Gentiles. And then that time called Epiphany Tide stretches from January 6th, all the way to the week before Easter. And then also, there's this article a lady wrote, and she calls this stretch of time Dead Week. And her article is called All Hail Dead Week, the Best Week of the Year. And she summarized it this way, and I think it's, it's very interesting. American culture doesn't have an official name for this time, though maybe Dead Week will catch on, but we celebrate it all the same. By eating cheese and cake for breakfast, not looking at calendars or clocks, forgetting what day it is, wearing outfits that make no sense, ignoring our phones and falling into a pointless internet rabbit hole for hours. Lots of people have either just returned from family visits or are still there, stuck in the half familiarity of being an adult in the spaces of childhood. We celebrate dead week by having no idea what to do during dead week. And within that confusion, quietly luxuriating in what might be the only collective chance for deep rest all year. So if I could summarize it, I would say we look back, we look forward, but we do nothing. However, there's a momentum that's starting in our lives. And it pulls us and it drags us forward into a new time filled with new situations and so i ask what are you being tugged into this year what are you looking forward to and what does your new year look like for me this section of scripture is is really similar so we all know about christmas the incarnation we all know about easter the death burial, and resurrection of jesus but what do we know about this time So I would ask what do we do with the time between we could be just like the disciples? What did they choose to do? Go fishing and eat breakfast And so I've tried fishing and usually the only thing I catch is a hook in my finger My clothes or my shoes and sometimes it's just not worth the time And for amateur it's a quiet feat even to get out there. You got to gather all your supplies your poles your tackle box Your license, you got to drive there and then you got to get there and if you have kids, you realize it's about as fun as making slime. Because they're all over the place and it's never as fun as you think it's going to (laughs) be. But if you feel like a bit of a drive here, you can head to Smith Mountain Lake. And it's pretty interesting because it's only been around about 50 years. Uh, It was developed in the 60s. They dammed up two rivers form Smith Mountain Lake, which is a reservoir that feeds into Leesville Lake, which is another reservoir. And it gives us a lot of great residential and recreational activity. So it's pretty funny that this lake we all love hasn't even been around as long as West Lynchburg. And if you look at a map, it's a general shape of like your hand, like facing this way if you pull it up on Google Maps. And so it has 500 miles of shoreline, mostly not used. And so if you could fill in those cracks with water and get into a little bit more traditional shape of a lake, it'd be about the size of the Sea of Galilee. And the Sea of Galilee is about 12 miles from top to bottom. And at its furthest stretch, it's about seven miles across. And so that's where we find ourselves today. And the Sea of Galilee is similar to these reservoirs because from the north, coming from Syria, the Jordan River flows and fills the sea of galilee and then from the sea of galilee the jordan river flows down on the western boundary of israel and it fills the dead sea and so those two lakes the sea of galilee and the dead sea or the salt sea are the two lowest lakes in the world did you know that i didn't either the lowest is the dead sea which is a below sea level and the next one there Is the Sea of of Galilee. And this is just a beautiful bowl, really, shaped, surrounded by mountains, hills, valleys, and grass, and these huge mountains called the Golan Heights in the north, if you followed Israel's history. That's where a lot of the war had happened in the middle of the century. And so here at this lake, what happened here is really important. And the only reason it is important is because of what Jesus did there. If Jesus wasn't there doing all of this stuff, it'd probably be as important as Moose Lake in Wisconsin. Has anybody here heard of Moose Lake? Exactly. Because Jesus wasn't there, it doesn't matter. (laughs) And so here you are at this beautiful lake. We have some of the disciples and apostles having breakfast with Jesus. Starting in verse 1. There's Peter. And I like to imagine Peter as similar to Popeye the Sailor Man. He's rough. He's gruff. He's rowdy. And he's not too smooth around the edges. And he gets bored. And he decides to go fishing. It's what he's always done. It's what he's supposed to do anyway, right? So under his leadership, six others decide to follow him. On this fishing expedition, and this is probably going to be the last endeavor of the Johnson family fishing company. I call it Johnson because he's Simon, son of John. So if he's English, Peter would be called Simon Johnson. So this is his last fishing expedition. And so they load the boat with their nets, their people, and their purpose for an overnight fishing trip. And they bob up. Up and down, up and down, dragging the nets. Up and down, up and down, over and over and over and over again. All night, they heft these heavy wet ropes up, checking for fish. And I love how the author describes their success in verse three. They went out, they got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Bunk. A disappointment. A waste of time until another person shows up starting in first four verse four the story continues as the first rays of sun peek over the mountains and just a dark blip on the coast those in the boat see this man and this man asks a question hey my friends do you have any fish and on the boat tired and possibly a little grumpy At the reminder that they caught nothing, they so kindly respond, no. This figure on the beach calls out to them on the sea, says, try the other side. Tired men think, why not? We're here already. Let's just do it. They wait, then they decide to pull up their nets one last time, expecting emptiness. Then they start to see these little flecks of silver causing the water to stir Peter begins to think this reminds me of something this reminds me of something three years ago something like this happened this is Jesus Then, possibly on the same boat in the same spot Peter sat with Jesus and they had this conversation this is how it went Jesus says put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch Simon answered Master, we toiled all night and took nothing, but at your word, I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish. Their nets were breaking. They sailed to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats, so they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at his knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. So also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. When they brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. So as Peter remembers this counter, he propels himself into the water to meet his Lord, leaving the others behind. So just imagine the love and excitement it takes to throw yourself over a ship and swim 100 yards to shore with your clothes on. If you've ever tried that, it's not fun. Most people take their clothes off to swim, so it's not as drag. And so he does that, and I can just imagine the rest of the disciples saying... Don't worry, Pete, we got it covered. Go ahead. John specifically saying, don't worry. I beat you to the tomb. You can have this one. And so I always think that there had to be some type of friendly, just rivalry and competition between John and Peter. Because they were together their whole life. When Jesus called them, they were all together. He called them as a group. So about half of his initial disciples and apostles were fishermen from around the area where he grew up. And so I just think that he would trick him if we were today. It could be like Don't worry. I even have a better nickname. So just think of it. We have thunder boy Versus rock man. I just think of this. It's like your son's a thunder and you're rock And so I could be like they gave me a better nickname And So today we play rock paper scissors shoot rock paper scissors shoot So I could just imagine if john and peter were children uh, john would say i'm going to change Paper to thunder and so thunder beats rock every single time john beats peter every single time and so it's just a fun friendly rivalry and i know there's some play going on between this but either way so eventually they make it to shore and the risen lord jesus is already there he has a breakfast of grilled fish and fresh bread it's a good to have after a night of work you ever work a midshift and go home and have food eat and go to sleep it's a beautiful thing So the disciples stop and and say, this reminds me of something. This reminds me of something. The fish, the bread, the breaking, the miracles, the feeding, reminds them of something. But for Peter, this reminds him of something else that happened a few weeks before. It's a charcoal fire and a rescinding darkness recall another fire. On the night of Jesus' arrest, a charcoal fire was built by a young servant to warm her master and her guests. And around this fire, standing cold, Peter warms himself. And they come to him and say, Are you his disciple? He yes, I'm not. Do you know him? No, I don't. i'm pretty sure you know him you have the same accent and i saw you in the garden i'm pretty sure you had a sword and you cut someone's ear off i'm pretty sure you know him he says no i don't know him and at that moment rooster crows funk just imagine the pit in his stomach as peter comes to shore smells the fire and sees jesus And so after that, he goes and he grabs the, uh, the fish with his buds. There's 153. And I think that's, that's an interesting detail that God included in Scripture. It's like fishermen like to count and weigh things. So he had to make sure that they knew exactly how many fish that they caught. Um, just imagine, with the nets and everything pulling that, it's probably pushing 300 pounds. And you're through the water. That's a lot of work. And so this long, unproductive night, the miraculous catch, the fire, Jesus, and it's the echo of Christ in their lives. And it all points to this one interaction between Jesus and Peter. And after breakfast, the two go for a walk along the rocky coastline and have a conversation. And so if you look at the slide that's up, that's actually the beach where the Catholic tradition holds that this happened. And they built a little church there called the Church Church. Of the primacy of Peter. And so you saw me in the sandals earlier. There's a reason I wore sandals. And if you can see, the weather's not that, that great. So it was going to pour all day long. And we're on the road for 12 hours. We literally went from Galilee to Jerusalem and back. And so for me, I was like, well, I'd rather have wet feet than wet socks all day. <laughs> and so I chose to wear sandals. And everybody looked at me like a goofball. But once we got on the bus, it was fine. And so whenever we picture things in our mind, they're always beautiful. But half my time in Israel was rainy, nasty, and gross. And I can imagine fishing all night, it probably looked like that. And so on this beach, it's a little rocky shoreline with little black pebbles. Jesus and Peter have this conversation. And it's a simple, and it's repetitive, and it applies to all of us. It has a basic format. A question, a response, and a command and they do that three times if you want to understand it another way it's jesus basically saying is what i am saying true about you peter says of course it's true and jesus responds we'll do something about it and this is this conversation that he's having and i'm just going to read through it one more time a little briefer simon son of john do you love me more than these I assume he's talking about the apostles, not the fish. Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He says, feed my lambs. He says a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He says, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He says, tend my sheep. And Lastly, he says a third, third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Just think, Peter was grieved because he said it a third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. And so from this question and this response and this command, we have one overarching truth that we need to remember. It's that Christ's love restores us. Christ's love restores us. And from that truth of this passage, we see a driving application. It says, Love for Christ responds. So Christ's love for us restores, and our love for Christ responds appropriately. And so Jesus' main question to Peter is about love. And so this passage is loaded with wordplay, and there's this relational connectivity going on between Peter and Jesus. In John writing, there's this connectivity between him and Peter and Jesus. Then he's also writing to the church. So you see these different contexts embedded, and all of these are working together. But the main emphasis is God's restoring love. So Jesus is restoring and securing Peter's commitment to his Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And as he denied him three times as a know-it-all in Matthew, he said, even if mine must die with you, I will not deny you. Did that happen? No. He denied him three times at the drop of a hat so he wouldn't get in trouble. And so now Jesus gives him a clear clear chance to be restored and hear the words of jesus do you love me do you love me do you love me and he responds you know i do you know everything so what comes next in this transition from fish to sheep from fisherman to pastor from self to christ from my will to his will from my kingdom come to his kingdom Amen. That's what's happening right here. This is a clean break from the past to the future, guided by what Jesus has for this man. And it's the same for us as it was the same with Peter. So notice the words, my, by sheep and lambs. This work belongs to Christ. Notice the words, tend and feed. This new command comes from Jesus. And Jesus is only asking him to do what he has already done for him. Look at the breakfast. You didn't catch your fish. Here you go. You're hungry. You're tired. I'll take care of you. Jesus is saying, Peter, do for others what I've already done for you. Leave your old life behind and follow me. So Peter was already a leader. We see that. They followed him to the boat the night before. So now he has to lead people to Christ by becoming more like Christ, even if it costs him his life. And right at the end of this passage, Peter finds out he's going to die. So imagine that. Waking up, I'm going to go fishing. And then you find out at the end of the day that you're going to die because of your love for Christ. And you'd think you'd get some soft, encouraging response. But Jesus' words are very simple. He says, what's it to you? Follow me. When Jesus says, follow me, he doesn't say, look to them. He says, you follow what I have for you, regardless of what happens. So giving up career, giving up his life, all for Christ and his redemptive mission on earth. So what does that look for you and how does that impact your life today? So we know Peter was faithful to this command. Just read the book of Acts. Jesus was leading the rest of the disciples in the upper room. He addressed the crowds from the room and gave the first gospel message to those in Jerusalem after Jesus ascended to heaven. Thousands believed in Christ and started to follow him And we call the early church led by Peter through the Holy Spirit. And it's described this way. This is how the church is described. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. And to the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and prayers. That's what we're called to do. And that's what we've inherited through all the saints before us. So we are an extension of this faithful work of those who came before us from creation to the cross to the church, all for the expanding kingdom of God. We are left with the same conversation Peter had, whether you're a mom, a dad, a teenager, a working man, a lady, single, married, old, or young. We have this question, a question, a response, and a command. Early this morning, Jesus is asking, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? And this is your chance to say, yes, yes, you know that I do. Yes. So I'll leave you with the words of Peter. He fell down at Jesus' knees saying, "Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord." And later when others were leaving, he said this, "Lord, to whom shall I go? You have the words of eternal life." And we have believed and come to know that you are the Holy One, the Son of God. And in this passage, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. In the first two chapters in the book of Acts, he says this to the people. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the promises for you, your children, and all who are far off. Everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And so for me, for you guys, I hope, that sounds like good news. God is calling me to him, sending his son as the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Word became flesh to die on a cross for my sin so I could spend forever with him in heaven. Opposed to eternal wrath and hell. That's good news. It's truth. It's reality. And so, hear what Jesus has to say to Peter and to all of us follow me. Will you respond? Let us pray. Father God, the tremendous love that you have for us through your Son, I can't even comprehend. Daily you strive after us and show us your grace and mercy as daily we do our own thing and walk away. And I pray that not just for the new year but for today and each day that follows that we would make this daily commitment to love you and to follow you and to walk in the work you have for us. Be with us as we step out into Sunday school and the rest of the week. Pray this through Christ our Lord. Amen.